we are back in the Big Apple. Adashina Koiki on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. This is episode number nine. And after a whole week in the Lone Star State in Texas, we are back in the Empire State in New York State at our headquarters in New York City. A couple of guests here on episode number nine on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. A couple of leagues that are on their breaks. One of the leagues is coming out of their break Today, the Major League Baseball season begins its unofficial second half today and tonight after the All-Star Game on Tuesday. And we are joined by longtime sports writer Mike Shalen of the Sports Exchange, formerly of the Boston Herald and of the New York Post. He and I break down the second half of the baseball season. We pretty much break down all of the divisions in Major League Baseball going into the second half. Some of the storylines to follow as we hit the dog days of summer and going into the fall and heading quickly towards uh, the fall classic. We also talk with Mike about the six people that will be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame next week. Shalen is a Hall of Fame voter and we talk about the six people being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Six people that span all different generations of baseball fans. Three managers, Bobby Cox, Tony Larusa and Joe Torre, three players, the professor, Greg Maddox, the big hurt in Frank Thomas and Maddox's longtime teammate with the Atlanta Braves, Tom Glavin. So we talk about the Hall of Fame and we talk about the second half of the Major League Baseball season. And we also talk WNBA as the WNBA heads for its all-star break on July 19th. And we talk with one of the starters in the Eastern Conference for this year's all-star game, which will take place in Phoenix, Arizona. Angel McCautry of the Atlanta Dream joining us after the Atlanta Dreams game against the New York Liberty a couple of days ago. Angel, the two-time WNBA NBA scoring champion. She ranks in the top five in scoring this season, number two in the WNBA in steals, and she stopped by after Atlanta's game against the New York Liberty to talk about the dream, the dream looking to win their first WNBA championship. They've gone to the WNBA finals three times, and they have lost three times in the WNBA finals. So we talk with Angel about how this year may be different. So that interview is second. The interview with Mike Mike Shalen begins now, and we will see you at the end of the show. We are getting ready to begin the second half of the baseball season, and a lot of great races will take place in this second half. Four of the six divisions in Major League Baseball, the team in first place and the team in second place, are either separated by a game and a half, one game, or zero games as they're tied at the top of the division. And joining us right now to break down what should be an amazing second half of the season, and we haven't even talked about and mentioned the wild card races as well. That's going to be exciting. Mike Shalin joining us, longtime sports writer for the Boston Herald and the New York Post, and now working for the Sports Exchange. Mike joins us right now to talk baseball and the second half of the Major League Baseball season. First of all, Mike, thank you so very much for joining us, and how are you doing today? Not too bad. I'm, you know, it, it, after these last two days, actually four days, because the uh, home run derby doesn't excite me too much either. But mm-hmm. uh, it feels like we've been in, in uh, sports purgatory for the last couple of days. These are the only two days of the year that there are no professional sporting events to watch, yeah. and and you know, for junkies like us, that kind of that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> but it, it's a um, 
uh, it is going to be an exciting second half, and the extra wild card, which is, you know, it's it, it, the wild card itself is a crazy thing because it's a one-game situation, but <clears throat> having that extra wild card is just, um, you know, it makes more teams think they're in it, which they are, and um, then, they, then they're walking that fine line, do we go for it, and that's what makes the next two weeks so important is I, I think you'll weed out some of the people that uh, some of the teams that will not be able to go for it. I think one of the teams that won't be weeded out in terms of pretender more than contender, I believe, are the Oakland Athletics. They are the best team in Major League Baseball, 59-36. and 36. And, of course, they made that huge move not too long ago, acquiring both Jeff Samarja and Jason Hamill uh, from the Chicago Cubs, a couple of pitchers, and essentially mortgaging a little bit of their future uh, in that trade as well. Uh, a little bit of an uncharacteristic move by Billy Bean, uh, making this huge move right now. So, obviously, the urgency uh, is apparent for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, do the A's need to make maybe a couple of more moves, or are the A's set in being able to put away the demons from playoffs past and possibly make the run for this season? Well, they certainly seem to have the pitching. Uh, I think there is an urgency. Anytime you play in a ballpark, they, in a ballpark, they can fall apart next week. <laughs> um, I think that uh, it's it's there, you know, and, and the. I kind of I kind of liken the Oakland A's to um, to the San Antonio Spurs in a way, in that um, you know in San Antonio, anybody that Popovich throws on the court does does the job for him, and the Oakland A's are the same uh, the same situation. It just seems like whoever they put on the field, uh, not only does the job, but if you look, there were there were six of them in the All Star game the other day. So it's uh, um, I think this team is good enough to win the way it is now. Um, I was I, I, I wasn't shocked when he made the trip. Billy's done things like this before, you know. He's, he's gone for it before. Uh, you know, there's there's that old prospect schmospects thing where where people say that they're prospects until they prove they're good players. And we know that these two pitchers are good pitchers, and they're they're both pitching in a cavernous ballpark. Um, you know, I, I, this this franchise has come. You know, people love to talk about how they've had playoff failures, but the thing is, they've also had a ton of injuries on their pitching staff. Um, you know, you go back to when Oakland, <clears throat> Oakland hit it rich with the three, um, you know, with Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. That takes a tremendous amount of luck. And if you look at the, the guys that Oakland has lost in recent years, and to be able to build it up like they have um, since, it, it's kind of a, it's a tribute to Billy, it's a tribute to Bob Melvin. Uh, I do think they're a little bit shaky um, in the in the bullpen, but Doolittle obviously proved that wrong uh, during the first half of the season. So, um, you know, the the Angels are right there. You know, the Angels have kind of once they dropped off the radar, if you will, of being the team that was supposed to win, they started to win, yeah. and they have, you know, arguably two of the five best hitters in baseball in the middle of that lineup. So. With Ibar having an all-star season, and, and uh, do they have enough pitching? They might, they might make a move or two uh, coming down the stretch. But they have the guys at the top, and um, they have the manager, they have the pedigree. So that that division is going to be a heck of a race, and I do think the wild card. One of the wild cards will come out of those two teams. Uh, it's a good thing you mentioned the Angels. I was getting ready to uh, talk about them as well. The A's went seven and three in their last ten games going into the break. They actually lost 
two games in the standings because the Angels went 9-1 and one and went into uh, the first half break winning five games in a row. So that American League West is definitely going to be very exciting. Seattle as well uh, in the mix, at least for the wild card spot. Once again, we are talking with Mike Shalen, sports writer for the Sports Exchange, formerly the Boston Herald and of the New York Post as well. Uh, shifting gears to the American League East, and you're very well versed in the American League East, uh, covering the Red Sox for many years. Uh, early on this season, the Toronto Blue Jays got off to that hot start, and there were skeptics uh, that questioned the Blue Jays as to whether that hot start would continue, and they have fallen back to the pack. The Baltimore Orioles now are 10 games over 500, four games ahead in the American League East. So the Blue Jays, at least in the first half, proved that they didn't have the staying power, at least going into the All-Star break. Do the Orioles have the staying power, or is this American League East going to fluctuate all the way down to uh, the end of the season? You know, so much of it comes down to injuries. You know, you look at uh, you look at the Orioles losing leaders, but uh, Toronto has been has been hit with a steady barrage uh, of injuries since the beginning. Uh, the latest serious one being Encarnacion, who was who was, as far as I'm concerned, a, a legitimate MVP in the first half of the season. Um, the Yankees lost 80% of their starting rotation, and they're only five games out. Uh, if, if somebody had a crystal ball and wanted to and wanted to look ahead at this division, uh, it, it, it's it's certainly the weakest that the uh, the American League East has been in a long time. Do I think the Orioles have the staying power? They may in a in a in a group that's not that that's not as deep as it should be. Uh, then you go down to the bottom where Tampa Bay and Boston, the teams that many people pick for one and two. You know, in fact, that you can make the argument that that the the division is upside down right now as we go into the second half, from what some people predicted. Uh, Tampa Bay and Boston will spend the next two weeks determining what their status is for this year. You know, the Red Sox uh, were every time they every time they appear to be ready to check out, they check back in. Like they're in the Hotel California, if you will. But they uh, and every you know, and every time they they seem ready to check back in, they check out again. So it's it's um, uh, you know they won four out of five uh, coming down the stretch. That's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is they didn't sweep the Houston Astros. They won two out of three against the Astros. So uh, you know what is this Boston Red Sox team now? An intangible here, Shane Victorino. He's coming back on the field. I believe he's. he's I believe he's only played in 21 games if the, if the number stands out in, in my head. But uh, if he comes back on the field, which he's supposed to do tonight or tomorrow, and gives them the spark and, and the lineup length that he provides, then perhaps they can they can make some sort of a move, you know, maybe trade to Jake Peavy and, and, and not really give it up, trade a, 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 a Gomes, a Johnny Gomes. Um, but in the next two weeks, They'll determine whether they have a chance in 2014. You know, let's be honest. Teams have come from further back than this to win pennants, and uh, so I think every team in that division uh, has a chance to win it. Uh, Baltimore, obviously, the favorite. They look good. They've got the manager with the pedigree. Um, but again, do you know? Does Britain hold up as the closer? Uh, I think they made a really good move by getting Hunley from San Diego after Weeders got hurt. Uh, they are the best team going into the second half, in my opinion. Does that mean they're going to win? There's, there's obviously no no way of knowing because 
you know, the, the, the crazy thing about baseball these days is not only are there injuries, but you wake, you're, if you're a general manager, you wake up in the morning hoping that one of your pitchers doesn't need Tommy John surgery, you know, and, and the guys go at, you know, the drop of a hat, and all of a sudden things change, you know. Uh, I think the Yankees coming into the season, the concern about them was their age around the field. The concern was not losing 80% of their rotation. Yeah. You know, obviously Tanaka was not a known, known commodity coming in. He proved to be better than he was supposed to be, but he's gone, and we don't know for how long. Um, so that year, you figured, all right, he's not the pitcher of old, but he's a 200 innings guy. Uh, you know, and to lose uh, to lose Nova, who I think was on the brink, uh, and 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 also Pineda, who you really couldn't count on, but he was there. Um, you know, pine tar and all. You, uh, can, I, count, um, you can count on him for pine tar. How about that? You can count on him for very for a very shiny. <laughs> Nectar <laughs> uh, was glowing in the dark at Fenway that night. And that that was one of the nights this season that I was that, that that in the back of my mind I wanted George Steinbrenner to still be alive because I would have loved to hear George's reaction to that whole thing. Um, but eighty you percent know, of your rotation—that's I mean, just whether you have a good rotation or a bad rotation—to lose four of your five starters and now you got to patch it together. You go out, you get a Brandon McCarthy, you go out and get a Jeff Francis. I saw yesterday for the bullpen they signed Rich Hill, uh, who's you know what's his what's on his resume? He's left-handed, you know, and 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 that's what teams tend to go for. But this division is just a wide-open scramble. You know, the Red Sox come out of the gate. They've got, I believe, it's seven of their next ten games against Toronto, and the other three against Tampa Bay. Well, that's going to tell us whether this team is a contender or a pretender. Uh, they have the Royals. Um, yeah, the Orioles. Oh, yeah, forgot the watch. Seven of the next ten, ten. They have seven of the, uh, they open up with Kansas City. Yep. And I believe, I believe they yep. go to Toronto. They come home for Tampa Bay and go to Toronto or something like that. Exactly. Have, At, it's right there in front, it's right there in front of them if they want to make some Yep. Money. Home to Kansas City and then four games in Rogers Center against the Blue Jays and then go to Tampa right. to face the Rays as well. And that could almost be sort of an elimination bout, uh, that Rays and Red Sox series in Tampa because that's late in July, right, as the trading deadline looms. Uh, probably one of the biggest and most surprising stats of all the teams in the American League East. Of course, the Red Sox, the defending champions, are rooted in last place. The Yankees have the fewest home wins in the American League, tied with the Rangers, and the second fewest home wins in baseball. I think that's probably the most surprising stat that I see uh, with the American League East. The Yankees, 18 and 23 at home. Once again, we're joined by Mike Shalen of the Sports Exchange, talking baseball, talking second half of the season. Uh, what's the Detroit Tigers' motivation in the second half? It's They're eight games ahead in the lost column, six and a half uh, games ahead of the Kansas City Royals. It's almost the same deal again, where the Tigers are just competing with themselves uh, for the second half of the season. So, uh, what's the Tigers' motivation going into the second half? Just staying healthy going into the playoffs? Well, well, the actors, they need motivation. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, before we go on to that, you know, you mentioned the Yankees and the Texas Rangers in the same breath, and we didn't talk about the Rangers in the West. Yeah. That, uh, that, that's a team. Talk about injuries. injuries yeah. That, that's a team that's just been broken down completely. And it'll be interesting to see whether. They write off this season as just a, a loss on the bottom line, and 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 don't trade off their players. Uh, don't trade being being the key there. Uh, and the Yankees, the Yankees being uh, what eighteen and twenty three at home, yeah. 
they, you know, everybody talks about the Yankees' second half. They say, well, they have 40 home games. Well, is that good news or bad news? You know? um, but going back to, uh, to the Tigers, this, they've been in this situation before, and they haven't always responded well to it. Um, but I think that, um, again, you know, the Victor Martinez injury doesn't, you know, he seems to be okay, and they're, they're healthy. You know, and they're healthy, and you've got Scherzer uh, pitching pitching for his supper, if you will, as John Lester is in Boston uh, with the big contract um, uh, awaiting. Uh, but uh, you've got you know, does Verlander, is Verlander going to be Verlander? Is he going to be that shell of himself he was in the first half? Um, I, I Porcello's been terrific. Uh, you wonder about their uh, their closing situation. Um, but they're not going to blow this lead. We know that. They know that. And when you when you have to navigate your way through that lineup three or four times a game, uh, you know, especially the top half of it, it's um, they're fine. They're fine. And you know, but this is Brad Osmus's first rodeo, so we have to see him respond to this. We have to see a team that has faltered down the stretch before respond to this. And we have to see if they have enough uh, in the bullpen to get the job done. Wouldn't be shocked to see them make some sort of deal. Yeah. Uh, when was the last time we could be safe with the Detroit Tigers and their bullpen and their closer situation when, when Willie Hernandez was pitching? Well, no, I think <laughs> I think I think there, you know Valverde was pretty good, okay. you know, uh, during his heyday there. Um, but I know what you mean, and when you know. Those of us old old enough to have not been in you know preschool when Willie Hernandez did his thing in '84, that was absolutely phenomenal, and uh, that was that that team started the season 35 and five, and was basically in the situation you're talking about, was cruising home in the second half. But they uh, that was their year. There's no question about it, and uh, it was it was a, a you know fun fun situation for us reporters because. Dealing with Sparky in the um, you know in, down the stretch and in the postseason was just uh, just a pleasure and uh, you know few teams have had seasons like that right on right on through the uh, the playoff win and then and then hammering the uh, the Padres in the World Series but there aren't many there aren't many closers who have had years like Willie Hernandez had maybe four. Uh, we're going to shift gears to the National League and another team with a first-year manager, Matt Williams of the Washington Nationals. Washington tied with the Atlanta Braves for first place in the National League. The Nationals ahead by a game in the loss column. The National season has been like the stock market has been up. It's been down, it's been down, and then it's been up, and now they are tied for first place with the Atlanta Braves. They seem to have been playing catch-up almost this entire first half, uh, trying to catch up to uh, the Atlanta Braves. Bryce Harper is now back in the lineup, another team that uh, got hit by injuries. Uh, assess the National League East a little bit with the Nationals and the Braves. It's a two-horse race in the National League East, uh, all due respect to the Mets, Marlins, and Phillies uh, in the National League East, unless you think one of those teams could possibly uh, make you mean a run. Charger, you mean the charging Mets? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, is a, what is it, eight out of ten? Eight out of ten, three in a row, yes. Uh, <laughs> come on now, it's a lifelong uh, Mets fan. You can't, uh, you can't just put the Mets down. That's why we're going to lose the first back. six. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, they can lose the first six, and everybody thinks they, they stink and get to be ready to fire all the <laughs> but uh 
you look at Washington and Atlanta, again, two teams racked by injuries. You know, uh, Hopper and, and uh, Zimmerman was hurt, and, and, uh, and they, you know, they've had, they've had injuries on the, on the pitching staff. Um, they were the team going in that everybody thought was going to win. Uh, Atlanta, racked by injuries on the pitching staff, um, managed to, uh, to keep it afloat. And they, you know, both of these teams have been incredibly streaky. And like you, you were saying, the up and down, the up and down, um, which has uh, uh, which has allowed teams like the Mets and the Marlins not to be contenders, but to win a lot of games. You know, the I believe the Mets won three out of four against Atlanta um, right before the break, and then swept then swept the Marlins. Um, it, it, you know, when you look at those two teams, um, <clears throat> two teams that again that I, I think might be wheeling and dealing a little bit come come the deadline, but it's, uh, you know, there's nothing solid there. Uh, but Harper, uh, to me, Harper is the key in this thing because if he's if he's healthy and he's, you know, I don't want him hitting balls onto the steps of the Capitol or anything like that, but he just needs to be Bryce Harper, and I think, I think, the, uh, I think the Nets will be fine. Uh, let me ask you this question because I was high on the Marlins to begin this season. Uh, is that legal, by the way? Yeah, what'd you say? <laughs> I know it's legal in two states. Yeah, I, I know, I know, yes. Um, if Jose Fernandez does not get hurt, mm-hmm. uh, does this National League East race change its complexion with Jose Fernandez? I think it does. I, I think it does, absolutely. Because um, then you've got um, one of the best pitchers, you've got the best hitter, you know, as far as power is concerned in Stanton. Although he was struggling mightily toward the right before the break, uh, you couldn't tell that with some of the home runs he hit in the home run derby. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sure. Anytime, anytime you lose a guy like that, you know it's like the Mets with Harvey. I think the Mets, you know, going into the season, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're the greatest team in the world around the field. But when you've got your ace at the top of the staff, anything is possible. And when you look at a guy like Harvey, you're looking at Tom Seaver. You know, or, or potential Tom Seaver back from the uh, the real prehistoric days in the '60s, but uh, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, a healthy Fernandez and and the and the Mullins are a different team. Once again, joined by Mike Shalen of the Sports Exchange, talking Major League Baseball for the second half of the season. The team with the second worst record in the last ten games going into the All Star break is a team that's in first place. In the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers, they're 10 games over 553 and 43. They were threatening to run away and hide from the rest of the National League Central. Now the National League Central has caught up, and you have four teams within three games of first place. Brewers at first place, Cardinals a game back, Reds a game and a half back, the Pirates three back in the loss column, three and a half back. Which of those teams are you most confident in, and which of those teams are you most worried about in the National League Central? Well, I don't think the Pirates are very good, um, but they've got they've got the star quality, there's no question about it. And they've got, you know, when, when you watch McCutcheon and Harrison play, you're watching guys with an attitude, and I like that. I like the way they play the game. They look like they're having fun. Um, but do they have enough pitching? That's going to be the question with Pittsburgh. You always look for the Cardinals. But, um, you know, how, how long, have, now in the first half, how long have we been looking at the Cardinals? They go 6-4, and four, 
down the stretch, and they pick up four games. You know, um, Milwaukee has has stumbled big time. Um, I still have my doubts about um, Hayward and, 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 you know, doing, doing what he's done uh, down another stretch. Uh, Cincinnati, you know, it seems like every time you watch Cincinnati, they're, they're hitting – they're hitting home runs at the band box of a ballpark, and uh, but they lost they lost Phillips before the break. Uh, the Cardinals lost Yadier Molina before the break, and that looks like perhaps the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, again, these teams I think will be will be involved. All four of those teams I think you're going to see involved at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. as buyers and not sellers. Uh, it's exciting though; it really is because. You know, each one of those teams has has its own uh, uh, star quality. You, know, you look at Milwaukee with with uh, Gomez and and, and Braun. You know, and the year that uh, that uh, and Luke Roy too, the catcher and Luke Luke Roy, terrific. You know, and and then you go to the Cardinals. Well, they're the Cardinals, and people always expect them to be on the around the Reds. You know, with with Votto who. By the way, I think is an interesting name to watch the trade deadline, even though I don't really? think it'll happen. Um, but uh, you know, you got you got Chapman waiting to come in at the at the end of games, and and Phillips obviously provides a lot of uh, excitement for that team. Uh, another speaking of guys having a good time when they're playing baseball, yeah. um, you know, and like I said, the Pirates with with McCutcheon and, and company. So it's an interesting division. No great teams. But I think four pretty good teams, and they're going to beat each other's brains out going down the stretch. Why do you mention Joey Votto in terms of the trade? I don't know. I don't know. There's something there to me. There's something there. And I, I don't know what it is. Um, to me, Joey Votto signed, signed that big contract. And again, I go back to that Dan Box of the ballpark. To me, his power number should be better and uh, more consistent. Let's put it that way. And I think he's a, he's a terrific on-base guy. But I kind of think that the game is going away a little bit from the on-base percentage. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, it was pointed out to me, uh, actually by Tom Baducci uh, before the break, uh, that um, the three teams known in the American League for taking pitcher, pitches are all losing teams. And he was talking about the Red Sox, Tampa Bay, and the other one was uh, Cleveland. The teams know for taking pitches don't have winning records. So, uh, you know, there's so little offense in the game today. When, you, when you've got a lineup like the Reds have, they should be something. You know, they should be hammering people. And, and uh, there's just something about the Votto thing. I'm, like I say, I don't think it's going to happen. But if I woke up on, you know, any day between now and July 31st and something big did happen, I would not be completely shocked. Mm. Once again, talking with Mike Shalen of the Sports Exchange, and to wrap up the National League Central talk, both wild card teams last year came out of the National League Central with the Pirates and the Cincinnati Reds. The Pirates winning that uh, one-game playoff to face the St. Louis Cardinals in the division series, and it looks as if uh, at least one team from the National League Central may make it to the wild card round again. One team that may make it from the National League West may be the team that does not win 
in the championship of the National League West between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants, longtime rivals on two different coasts. And the Giants and the Dodgers are tied for first place in the loss column. The Dodgers are a game ahead of the Giants in the standings. And again, like the Blue Jays, the Giants were a team that looked like they were going to run away and hide from the rest of the National League West. The Dodgers looked like team turmoil again, like last year, and then they turn it on again, and they're in first place. So the key for the Dodgers is just play bad at the beginning of the season, have Don Mattingly, have his job threatened, and then they turn it on, right? That simple? Well, you know, they, they, they have they have a payroll that's, that uh, is almost bigger than the rest of the division combined. Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got the star quality there. There's no question about it. But they've had injuries. And and you know every time you every time you read a trade roundup story, Matt Kemp's name keeps coming up. You know he wants to be a center fielder. Um, you know they, there's there's still big money left on that contract. See the good the good thing about baseball is that contracts can get moved because you can pick up you can pick up the salary some of the salary. So you know do the Dodgers do the Dodgers trade Kemp? What do, what do they you know what do they need? Well maybe I don't know. Uh, infield help or some sort. It's hard to look at that team and say they need anything, especially when you, you look at, at having Kershaw, Granke, and Ryu as your, as your as Beckett. Well, Beckett's hurt now. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to look at the staff and say, well, they need pitching. Uh, you know, we we talking about uh, Puig and, and Ramirez and, and uh, Gonzalez. You know, it certainly seems like they have enough hitting. Um, I. I don't know. I, I can't predict them. Just as I couldn't predict them, well, you can't predict anybody going 42-8. and eight. But, uh, you know, who saw that turnaround comes? That's, a, that's another thing about that's great about baseball. season is so long. You, know, you look in the NFL, and, and if, you, if you go one and four out of the game, your season's basically over. I mean, you've got to play the next 11 games, no question about it. But baseball, if you come out of the game, whatever the equivalent of one and four would be, it doesn't really matter unless you're really just not a good team, and 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 that you know that will take you down eventually. But there's so many ebbs and flows in 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 a, in a, in a baseball schedule. Again, the Red Sox, you know, they lose. Uh, they get swept at home by the Cubs. They lose the first two games of the series against the White Sox at home in the same homestand. They're staring. They're staring straight at one and eight on the, on uh, in the ninth game of the homestand. They come back. And they have two walk-off wins in a row, and then they win two out of three in Houston. Well, is that false hope? I don't know. With the game being the way it is, and the and the the you know parity, if you will, um, they can come out of this, they can come out of the break now and win seven in a row. All of a sudden, they're contenders, or they can go back to being the Red Sox in the first 95, 94 games or ninety-two games, and they can go right back in the tank again. So, the, to me. There's no team in baseball, in my opinion, that you can look at and say, this team is an automatic. This team is a slam dunk. Uh, the Tigers will probably be the closest thing to it, but we've seen cracks in their armor before. So I can't think of another team that I looked at going the second half and say, you know what, that team can't possibly lose 8 out of 10 games because they won't, it seems like they won't done it. So... That's to me what the, the fascinating. The next two weeks to me are the most interesting in baseball, other than 
other than late September and October. These are the most interesting two weeks of baseball in the season because you're going to have, on a daily basis, teams are going to go from buyers to sellers to buyers to sellers, and you're not going to be able to figure it out. And then just when you've got it figured out, Oakland trades the two best prospects to pick up two pitchers from the Cubs, who were supposed to get traded in separate deals. They picked up two pitchers from the Cubs. So, uh, and, and the good thing about these deals is, you know, and I, having been on the beat, if you will, from with a, with a daily newspaper for as long as I was, the, the trades that come that happen are usually not predicted and come out of nowhere like that Oakland A's trade did with, with Samarja and, and Hamill. Uh, it's the ones you're looking at that don't get made, and but the the ones that you know just completely knock you over, like that, uh, like that Toronto Miami trade of a couple of years ago. Is there anybody who predicted anything like that was in the works? No way. These guys are great with all the the insiders, and you know you, you lose track of which insider works for which internet thing and whatever. So so and so reports today is Tuesday. Okay, well that they got that right. But <laughs> problem is that these GMs are very, very good at floating things and they're very, very good at hiding things. And that's what that's what I think makes the situation so fast. Yeah. Uh, once again, Mike Shalen joining us, and Mike, you are a Hall of Fame voter, and I definitely wanted to end uh, with the Hall of Fame ceremonies, which will be next week, and uh, six very special uh, players and managers, including other uh, people, will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. You have Tony Larusa and Bobby Cox and Joe Torre from the managerial front, Greg Maddox, uh, Tom Glavin, and the big hurt Frank Thomas, uh, as well, being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Can you share? Uh, any stories about any of those players and managers from all of the time uh, that you have been uh, covering baseball? Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, you, know, you, you look at the uh, you look at the three managers and um, just Melissa, uh, Melissa, who who was criticized uh, over the years for over managing and, and doing things. He's also a guy responsible, I think, for this whole lefty righty thing in the bullpens. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Bobby Cotton kind out of, that Tony won two championships, I believe, right? One in Oakland and one in St. Louis? Yes. Is that right? Or, or a couple in St. Louis, yeah. yeah. And Bobby won one, and Joe, of course, won the, uh, won the five in, in New York. But uh, uh, the one thing that all three of them have is um, just the, the consistent nature of their personalities. And I think that, you know, when you, when you look back at the volatile managers, we know that Billy Martin and Earl Weevil were great managers, but these three guys would all, would all fall in the category of consistency. And, and when you're, I think, when, I wouldn't know this for sure, but I think when you're a player, the one thing you want is consistency in, in the manager. Uh, they've also won under different circumstances. You know, Bobby won all those pennants with, uh, with Atlanta. Um, also, also worked in Toronto. Tory was was a was a uh, oh, let's be honest, a complete failure really as a manager before he got to New York and and uh, figured out the whole Steinbrenner dynamic. Uh, Tony Tony was just a tactician, you know, a a, uh, a real X's and O's guys we like to call it basketball. But uh, three great guys to talk to. Uh, I remember. I remember Bobby Cox. You know, I, 
I never I never got too chummy with people, but when I was on the beat, there there are people that that come to that you come to know and come to know you. And I remember the year after I got off the beat, the All Star Game was in Philadelphia, and I remember a, a huge media throng. Just you know, you, you know how it is before the game. Everybody, I, I used to love to to start a rumor and see how long it took me to get took the rumor to get back to me. And that, that's the way these pregame things work in the playoffs and World Series and All Star Game. Anyway, Bobby comes out of the uh, comes out of the dugout and uh, comes up and sees the mob and and you know Bobby was never really a a, a guy who wanted the attention. And he sits around and he says, "Walk with me." I said, okay, you know, so I, I walked with him, and we walked all the way out to the bullpen in in Philadelphia. I don't know if you remember the old stadium. The bullpen was kind of underneath a, a screen in right field, and we sit down We sit down in the bullpen, and he takes out a cigar, puts his feet up, and says, I just can't deal with all that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we just, we just sat there and talked, you know, and it was like, you know, anytime something like that happens in your career, uh you, it stands out. You remember it, you know. And, and and I just, I just, I remember the look on his face when he saw how many people were waiting to talk to him, and just walked away to smoke a cigar in the bullpen, which you can't even do anymore. But that's all I'm saying. Um, as far as the players are concerned, um, Frank, you know, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, uh, you know, monster of a man, uh, tremendous batting eye at the plate, uh, could hit a ball harder than. Than just about anybody uh, was not a great fielder. Obviously, it became a became a DH, but uh, but a tremendous hitter. And I think a little bit, almost a little bit underrated. Uh, you know, he he and uh, he and Griffey being stars when they were. You know, Griffey being such a great defensive player and Frank not being a great defensive player. But let's not let's not forget a back to back MVP and the on base percentages. And, you know, the guy the guy was. A little bit like Ted Williams, the fact that he really didn't like to swing at all, and and uh, I think that became a trademark with him. The pitchers, you know, again, models of consistency. Um, I think both of them would have trouble pitching in today's game uh, because of the uh, the technology involved in balls and strikes. I think both of them had a had a strike zone that was wider than uh, than the legal limit, if you will. Uh, and it's tougher to get away with that now. Even in a in a fourteen to one game, you see umpires calling it like it's three two in the bottom of the ninth inning. So, uh, but great pitchers, both of them. Neither one of them threw the ball ninety five miles an hour. Uh, you know, masters of, of trickery, and you know, and teammates. You know, uh, and that that's another great thing. And I think uh, I think you'll see Smoltz uh, follow them in. Uh, you know, and then you look at those three and you say, how did that team only win one championship? One of these days, hopefully, you and I will share a cigar in a bullpen somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Mike Shalin, thank you. That's so- what we're going to say. 
I thought you were going to one of these days we'll both be in Cooperstown. <laughs> well, that too. If we, if, we, if we were there, we'd be paying for our hotel. <laughs> we'll make that happen very soon. Trust me. Uh, okay. We'll get you back to Cooperstown, and I'll get myself uh, back to Cooperstown after my one and only appearance when I was uh, eight years old. Uh, Mike Shalen of the Sports Exchange, formerly the Boston Herald and of the New York Post baseball reporter, uh, reporter extraordinaire. Uh, thank you so very much for joining us to break down uh, the second half of the baseball season as well as the Hall of Fame induction as well. Mike, thank you so very much for joining us and we will talk with you down the road. My pleasure and have a great second half. The Atlanta Dream, by far and away, are the best team in the Eastern Conference. 15-5 and going into today's game against the New York Liberty. Atlanta has gone to the WNBA Finals three of the past four seasons, but not able to take home the WNBA's biggest prize. We'll have to wait and see if the Dream do that in 2014. We won't have to wait to talk with one of the more dynamic and the best players in the WNBA. Angel McCautry of the Atlanta Dream joining us. And first of all, uh, Angel, thank you so very much for joining us. They say winning is contagious, and the team going into today has won 12 of the last 14 games. So what part or parts of the team's play has been contagious in a good way that has led to this streak? Um, just that we, we play defense, we stay together, we, we run. Um, today we just we fell short two points, but you know that just shows a lot about our team. We're, we're really that good of a team, and um, we just got to continue to keep fighting and getting better. In this game against the Liberty, you mentioned uh, just came up short 77-75, New York uh, winning the game. Uh, you've won the WNBA scoring title the past couple of seasons. This season, on your way, one of the top scorers, but your assists have spiked over the past two seasons. You had nine assists uh, today in this ball game. Have you made a concerted effort to get your teammates involved even more than you've had in your first few seasons in the WNBA, or is that just an evolution? Just take me through uh, that evolution of being more of a distributor. Always, because, you know, um, I believe in my teammates to the utmost. Um, they've hit a lot of shots tonight. I only have an assist because they knocked down their shots. And um, that's just something that definitely I wanted to add to my game to get better. Uh, was that maybe the past couple of years you thought about adding that to your game? Of course, you know. Um, that makes a complete player. You know, not just somebody who just scores points. Um, a championship-type team is a team that shares the ball. Once again, talking with Angel McCautry here in the Dream locker room after the Dream and Liberty game. Uh, you've been one of the best defenders ever since we have followed you at the University of Louisville. What does it take to be a great defender like yourself? It's just effort and heart. You know, the women's game is more about heart than anything. And I think my heart is pretty big. Um, just makes the effort. Anybody can play defense if they want. It's just um, about how big your effort is. What do you take more gratification in the scoring or the defense? Defense. Because I was a defensive player first. People think that I was always this great offensive player. I worked my offense into my game because I was just a defensive player first naturally. You have Michael Cooper as the head coach this season, first year with the Atlanta Dream, two-time WNBA champion with the Los Angeles Sparks. What has he brought to this locker room? Um, just um, a fun aspect to the game. You know, we enjoy ourselves playing. Um, we have a good time and we work really hard while doing it. So, um, you know, that's just our team. That's why we've been so successful. So this loss really it just really doesn't discourage us because we know we're the best at the end of the day. You mentioned how much you're enjoying the game. Do you enjoy it more than you've had in previous seasons? Of course. This is probably the best year I've probably enjoyed in previous seasons. 
Have you ever seen Michael Cooper play uh, either with the Lakers on videotape or? Yeah, I saw a lot of little highlights and stuff. You know, they do documentaries about it and stuff. So I saw all those. But um, he was just a great player. And, you know, if I can just have the defense, half the defense that he had. <laughs> I think, I think you have half the defense that, that Michael Cooper has had. <laughs> well, I try to. <laughs> Once again, Agent McCautry joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. It might be too early to gauge right now in terms of comparing this team to the three runner-up teams uh, of the past that you've been involved in, but do you see any big differences in between this year's team compared to teams of the past that you've been involved in in terms of being able to take that step and be able to be a WNBA champion? Yeah, we're going to be a WNBA champion. Um, before I leave this league, I will be a WNBA champion. I'm, and, and I have no hesitation saying that um, we made it to the, the big dance three times, but a lot of people are like, oh, you didn't win. But give us our credit that we made it there and we fought. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of people don't even get there in their whole career, but I, I'm excited that we've been there to the big dance. We know what it feels like. We can smell it. We can taste it. We'll be there again, and we'll get a ring. I kind of get a sense that you think that this team might be a little bit overlooked. No, I don't think that the team is overlooked. I think we work hard. Whether we're overlooked or not, we're going to continue to stay within ourselves and be a family. Uh, one of your teammates this year is a rookie, Shoni Schimmel. You will be starting with her in the uh, WNBA All-Star Game. Before the season started, did you make Shoni as a rookie sing the uh, University of Louisville fight song in front of everybody else? Say again? Did you make uh, Shoni sing the University of Louisville fight uh, song in front of everybody? No. <laughs> Shoni's fun to be with. I mean, we have fun because we both came from the same school, and it's just an honor to be able for her to play in the All-Star Game, definitely her first year. That means the fans love her. She has the Native American community behind her. And, um, she's just a leader, so I'm glad she's here. Uh, the fans love you, too. So talk about, once again, being a part of the WNBA All-Star Game and how important that is uh, to you to take part in it. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad to, to play in the All-Star Game again. I thank the fans for voting for me. Um, so hopefully we can have some fun and give them a show and just enjoy ourselves in Phoenix. Uh, speaking of fun and giving people a show, you must have a trick or two up your sleeve during the game, right? Mm, usually I do. <laughs> I got something this year, yeah. You can't tell us? Of course not. You got to wait and see. Oh, come on. You can tell us. You know, it's called Tricks Up Your Sleeve. I pull them out during All-Star. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Angel McCautry, one of the best players in the WNBA. Thank you so very much for joining us. Best of luck at the WNBA All-Star Game in Phoenix and for the rest of the season going forward. Thank you so much for having me. We should have told Angel that we can keep a secret. We're not going to tell the whole world what tricks she has up her sleeve going into the All-Star game in Phoenix, Arizona, but we do thank Angel McCautry so very much for joining us. We also thank Mike Shalen for joining us for an extended preview of the 2014 second half of the Major League Baseball season. So episode number nine about to wrap up right now. Next week's episode, a milestone, a nice round number, episode number 10. And as we speak, we are currently booking guests for episode number 10, and we promise you it will be a very fun and very insightful episode like the previous nine have been. Also, make sure to go to our website, alotofsportstalk.com. We have a course preview of the 2014 British Open Championship. We talk with a member of the Royal Liverpool Golf Club and former president of the Royal Liverpool Golf Club, Andrew Cross. He talked with us about four holes that will be critical in terms of determining who will hoist the claret jug this year 
in the British Open 2014. And also, we will be in the next couple of days in Greensboro, North Carolina for the 2014 ACC Football Media Days. So we will have a lot of video, a lot of audio, a lot of interviews from Greensboro, North Carolina with the movers and shakers in the football world in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And some of those interviews more than likely will make it onto our podcast next week. You'll have to stay tuned to see which interviews from ACC Media Days will make it onto the podcast for next week. So until then, we thank you so very much for joining us for episode number nine. And we can't wait to join you next week for episode number 10. So make sure to come back now and get ready to listen to episode number 10 and make sure to stay tuned to A Lot of Sports Talk and go to our website, alotofsportstalk.com. Thank you so very much for joining us and we will see you next week. Take care.